Welcome, everybody, to the Livestock Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Reed. Our ninth episode coming to you featuring a personal friend of mine right in the same age, someone that actually this interview is a wee bit delayed or older. It was the very first interview we ever recorded to practice on. We bounced some ideas back and forth. My main man, Jordan, doing the editing and publishing, was just working through some software things, and, you know, gosh, it turned out quite well. And after we were done uh, getting all the editing together and reviewing, critiquing, going back and forth about questions and flow and what you do going into the interviews, Jordan said, you know, this one's good enough just to put out there. We've each listened to it a couple times since, and it's it was just so much fun talking to a friend of mine that I've known since we were quite younger, you know, early teens, to now someone I can call and bounce ideas off of regularly, someone that isn't afraid to think a little outside of the box and, uh, you know, also tells me if I ever have one of those way outside of the box ideas that, oh, maybe that one's just a little too much of a reach, Curtis. But So we're going to have Justin Van de Woosteen on to this episode and it's just a lot of fun to hear the perspective of someone in their early 30s the grind, the hustle, the different things that he had to do building up his herd, going into uh, you know transition time with his parents and you know working off the farm. That's something that him and I have talked a lot about because I also like work off of our farm with an industry job, and we you know doing chores at night in the dark the lights you have on equipment, what you wear for a headlamp, you know, those little things, the fact that you're coming into land and purchases pretty green (laughs) when you talk about getting backing from any financial institutions and finding the right ones to put just enough belief in you and then, uh, you know, going... uh, go until they pretty much try and pull the reins in on you and you get set up you have a lot of fun you you make so many friends and just again after we've listened to this episode we wanted to put it out there um from the podcast side this will be our second last episode published for the season with an interview we'll have Two more publishing after this, one more interview, and then a a solo wrap-up just with myself. You can find us on all the social media networks with at LivestockPod. That's Livestock with an F. Feel free to like us on there. You can share our posts. If you're enjoying episodes, feel free to write us. Can't thank all the direct messages, text messages, Snapchats, like... You guys are awesome for sending in 
and uh, the support. It's, you know, driving up and down the road, you stop and you read a message that comes in and, and uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, the first couple, they kind of get you, they get you right in the feels because we just love doing this podcast, talking to wonderful people, bringing interesting, unique content into the Canadian livestock sector. And we're just so happy and and very much uh, appreciative that you're along the ride with us. So our final go and show and segment of the season comes because as you're listening to this, we're either just finishing up, we've had a visit, bumped into one another at the uh, Lloyd Minster Stockade Roundup in Lloyd Minster, Alberta, because that's the 3rd through the 6th, and this podcast is coming out on the 6th. So if you're driving home, please drive safe, two hands on the wheel, and hopefully we're going to miss the ever-present beginning of November snowstorm that always hits during Lloyd, but hey, knock on wood. Our final three events after that, sorry, two events, another event will already be over, But Edmonton Farm Fair, November 10th through the 14th. So if you're listening to this on your way to Edmonton, best of luck to your crew. Safe travels. Everyone stay safe at the show. Enjoy the experience and being together at a livestock event uh, one more time again. And then the wrap-up to our fall show season, the 50th anniversary of Canadian Western Agrivision, November 22nd through the 27th in Regina, Saskatchewan. Hold on a second. If we just mention Canadian Western Agribition and it being the 50th anniversary, we can't forget the World Maine and Jew Congress. The World Maine and Jew Congress is coming to the 50th anniversary of Canadian Western Agribition, and the committee's wanting to remind everyone that the World Maine and Jew Sale will be held November 24th, the World Man and Jew Show, November 24th. The exciting, always highly attended main attraction heifer calf jackpot show, November 25th. And we will wrap up the Main and Jew Congress with the banquet also on November 25th. For more information, please visit the Canadian Main and Jew Association website, www.main-anju.ca or Find them on Facebook. I did get a really neat call, and I wanted to mention this just quick after, you know, we've just heard from the Maine and Jew World Congress, but Cole Goad from Clausen Cattle Equipment did call me, and he just wanted to reach out and say thank you to everyone that's called in and used the Livestock Podcast 10% off. He said it's uh, it's had a lot of interest and in people calling in and you know that has brought people together that maybe had never found their ClawsonCattleEquipment.com uh, website previously, but you know really enjoyed that phone call from Cole and thank you to everyone out there listening that's uh, inquired about uh, equipment. Without Cole's support, it would be. Well, it would be uh, impossible to (laughs) pay for the editing that goes on with the podcast because it's such a 
big undertaking, putting everything together, editing it, getting it published. So again, thanks a bunch to Cole Gold with Kloss and Cattle Equipment and all of our sponsors this season. We'll uh, talk about you a little bit more in the wrap-up, but right now, let's get into our previously recorded episode with Justin Van de Wusting of Vandy Cattle Company. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to the Livestock Podcast. Today, I'm pretty dang excited. Have a personal friend of mine and someone I feel is a very strong and relatable person in the livestock business that is under the age of 35. Someone pushing to build and develop a brand to bring in the aspects of what today's technology is with the history of genetic performance, researching pedigrees, and also having a big influence right now, in my personal opinion, of revitalizing younger membership of the Canadian Maine and Jew Association. But without any further ado, I'm going to bring in a really good friend of mine, Justin Van de Wustein from, what is it, Benson, Saskatchewan? Benson, yeah. There we go. That's not too bad at all. I didn't want to uh, pump your tires too hard and in the intro to bringing you in, but you know those are some comments that I truly feel are legitimate bringing you into this podcast and, and uh, just talking to you a little bit about. So, you know, I'm just going to open the floor to you for here a quick second about your home and, and operation. If you want to introduce us to when this podcast would drop your brand new wife. Yeah. Well, thanks for, thanks for uh, inviting me on Curtis. Um, I sure appreciate it. Uh, I guess uh, I ranch here at uh, Benson, Saskatchewan. We're about 20 minutes north of Astaban, um, about 30 miles straight north of the U S border. Uh, right down in the heart of southeast Saskatchewan, and and uh, we run about anywhere between 100, 120 cows here, uh, right at the moment, and and that. So, um, and then I guess yeah, my my new wife uh, here will be uh, Nicole McKim. So we've been been dating for a long time, and and I think uh, she she finally twisted my arm enough. So. Finally, tw- how many text messages did you get when you announced your engagement of finally? <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> quite a few. Because I'm quite sure that's what I sent. But hey, you never know. <laughs> never know. But when we when we throw it back a little bit, I remember the first time we met at the Livestock Judging Clinic, and it was in Whitewood, Saskatchewan, was it not? I believe so, yep. Young punk kids competing against one another. Some of the older kids smuggled us some beers in against the 4-H rules. Like that was a good time. Yeah, and that was a that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, Pro- probably probably a good good uh, better than fifteen years ago for sure. So yeah, them running those four head loose into the auction mart ring, and it was just freezing cold. Only three no, or four was... of us had ties on for, for reasons, and yeah, the, I remember that. Yeah, and a, and a lot of uh, other junior shows, I guess, growing up too. That 
that you and I were both active in and and that. So good times back then. And now shoot, if we were kids, we would almost have like triple the shows to go to nowadays. Yeah. It's a a lot different uh, landscape right now for sure. Cause, um, when we were growing up, there wasn't a whole lot of shows. Uh, it'd be Regina Spring Steer, Yorkton Spring Steer, the odd jackpot. Uh, in my area, there's a couple other jackpots that were running, and and that was kind of about it. And uh, I'm not sure up so much in in your neck of the woods, but but it was definitely a little different landscape. For now, I mean. There, there has been over the last probably five years for sure gotten to be a lot of, a lot of good shows starting up and, and, uh, really advancing the, the show cattle scene here in Canada too. So it's, it's definitely a, a changing landscape, but a good one. Yeah, no, I, I want to get into that a little bit more in depth with you later on with some involvement that, that you have, but just starting off. I think it's one of those unique things where you have been building your cow herd from commercial cows, different breed influences, leaning heavier into club calf genetics, bringing back more Semitol influence, and then now really diving all in on on the main breed. But while you're doing this all, you're still working off farm. So what Tell tell me a little bit about that. There's going to be a lot of our listeners that are like both you and I. We have our cows and it's such a passion and it's a family aspect to it, but we still work off the farm. We don't generate 100% of our livelihood based off of the cows. Yeah, so I guess uh, when I first got out of school, um, I didn't go to any secondary education. And I started working at a purebred operation uh, immediately, you know, within a couple of days after I graduated and uh, went there, worked for a while. And, and after a while, I kind of decided probably me being the kind of person that I am, um, I, I like to do my own thing. I, I like to um, ha- have my own thing to call mine. And so I left that operation, went and started working in the oil field, um, where I could make some good money, uh, work hard, make some good money and, and basically, um, start supporting my, my operation or, or, you know, that I was wanting to build. Um, you know, so it was kind of one of the things always from the start, I, I wasn't ever, I was never working for any other reason than I wanted to build my own cattle operation and and do my own thing. Um, In the meantime, when that happened, I guess I had taken the few cows I had, moved them to a friend's place at Estevan. And uh, I'd basically go out there after work or on weekends, um, do what I had to do to kind of pay my, my feed bills and all that. And, and that was kind of life. Um, since then I've moved back to the family farm and where I'm actively farming with, with my parents and, uh, you know, they're slowly transitioning out and I'm, I'm slowly transitioning to, to be the major stakeholder here. The the unfortunate part growing up in this or, 
you know, over the last 10 years for sure is, is there just hasn't been enough on our land base to go around to support two families or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Not that I was a family unit, but yeah. Partnership but, style. Yeah. yeah I can relate to that too. Absolutely. And then I guess, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that the way that land prices have went, you know, it, it just expansion probably wasn't in the books for us at the time. Um, so you got to work off the farm and, and I can't push, push my parents out. They, they've been here their whole life doing what they do. And, and, uh, you know, we're just getting to that point now where, where my parents are, are kind of going into retirement mode and, and, uh, want to have less of a, of, uh, hold on things here and, and are kind of ready for that transition in their life. So it's good for me, but, um, in that matter, it, it's, it's been an essential that I go and, and pull a check off the farm so that I can, can, uh, make that capital investment into, into their outfit as well. And, and, uh, you know, they aren't going to retire on nothing either. So exactly. If you were to just look back, you took some cows to a friend's, you were working, there's so many other things that come into it you're still fixated on that goal of ranching full-time, right? That, that is a, an idea, a passion and opportunity that you're pursuing. Yeah. And how flex, like how flexible have you had to be in lots of those situations from step to step or like some people feel like, Oh, I can never take a step back. I need to keep always pushing forward. Like, is there an example there where, you had some of that flexibility and, you know, just to pass it along. Um, I think how it's worked for me is, is I've definitely probably worked a lot harder than, um, most people would ever want to, I guess it's, you know, you go to a full-time job and, and my full-time job is, is not an eight hour a day job. It's, it, it can be that sometimes and and there's times where it can be a lot more and and uh the long and short of it is i've probably had to make a lot of sacrifices over the last 10 years that i wasn't really emotionally ready to make Mm -hmm. but they were essential and i guess you know just some things where maybe it wasn't going to a sale or a show or taking part in something that i thought could really um you know, benefit me, uh, so much on the livestock end, but knowing that I have to keep, keep my nose on the grindstone and, and really keep pushing because this is just part of it. And, uh, it's interesting because now we're at, at a pretty interesting time point where, um, it always has been the, the intention. I should back up to that, that, that I do want to be here, um, ranching full time. And there probably is going to have to be um, somewhat of an expansion made here in the near future to to support that decision and to support my lifestyle. But uh, we're at this interesting part right now where where my parents have backed right off, and uh, I've taken on the major role in our operation. And I guess where we're at is. I've kind of come to a realization that either I need to pull back on what I'm doing at the farm and keep working 
or I need to, um, go, go ahead and, and, and try to get out of work. That's a tough situation, but one that we've probably laid out more of a, uh, you know, three to five year plan on now on how we want to approach that and make that happen. But for me, it's probably always been about, um, here in the back of my mind, my mentality has always been that I want to go and work really hard now and, you know, grind every day. And, uh, hopefully, you know, in the near future here, if, if, uh, we sell down and start a family in that, I can be doing just one job, preferably on the farm and maybe giving some of that extra time that I might have to my family. Yeah, so that's awesome. It's, it's been kind of a, an interesting <laughs> roller coaster of, you know, this last, you know, 10 years for sure of my life. Um, where I've been at this, this same, uh, same occupation, I guess. And, and, uh, so it's been a interesting time period. It's been a good opportunity for me doing what I've done, but, um, you know, it, it hasn't been easy. And I guess my biggest thing is, is keep the eye on the prize because, um, I know what I'm going to work for every day and it's to, to set up this lifestyle that I want to live. So, yeah, lots of those things that we never want to take for granted often take the extra effort and dedication to achieve. I always mm-hmm. find it interesting when you're chatting with an older gentleman, family, partnerships, whoever, and they're about to sell their cow herd or they're retiring, and it's such a common talking point of they worked their whole life to get to a cow herd that they're finally satisfied with, but they're selling. Right. So it's, it's just the mindset in the egg business of, of you never quit and you're always pushing and driving hard. And, and that's something that you just admire about people within our business very much. So. Well, and I'll add to that Curtis is I'm not, um, special by any means in in that regard because there there are a lot of people in in the cattle business or just the agriculture business in general um that work off the farm and it's uh it can be a tough business at times and it's definitely not for the weak hearted and and you do what you got to do and and um i don't profess by any means to be to be the hardest working guy out there i i do work my butt off though and and i do know that I know and everybody else knows who does it that you just don't take a minute for granted. It's it's one of those things that you know that as much as you'd like to go to the lake for the weekend or or kick your feet up once in a while, you just gotta really stick it out and and there's a whole pile of work waiting for you at home to get done and and if you really are hungry for what you want, you know that you just gotta be be uh just grinding every day and 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 working hard yeah Yeah. it's relentless and the other i guess just comment before i move on to the next uh section of the interview here but it also so many times as a team effort with your husband wife partner where a lot of times they could have a job off farm and then they're helping you when they get home off of work or every single weekend. And 
it's uh it's just always such a neat dynamic to watch that and and as things develop but i guess uh justin and i don't want to bore all the listeners because sometimes justin and i'll get on the phone when we're driving up and down the road and we just start talking about genetics and what we're seeing and this and that and you know we can get down some gopher holes pretty quick and the odd time we meet up i'll add to that curtis though is is speaking about you know with a significant other on your operation it it is a tough bracket because you have to be a special kind of person to take up this lifestyle. And the way that I've always looked at it is, is, uh, you know, your wife or your husband or whatever. Um, it's not where you are, you know, both going to work in your nine to five and you get home and you talk about your day over, over supper. It's you have to live and breathe this as a couple and as a team to really make it work. And you've got to both have that same amount of dedication into it. And, and uh, you're exactly right. It's a really interesting dynamic to put all that together in this, this crazy life that we call the cattle business. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. it's demanding. And now a word from our season one sponsor, Clausen Cattle Equipment and their sale rep, Cole Goad. We custom manufacture heavy-duty bale feeders and economy bale feeders, all designed to save hay and forage during this year where uh, this is going to be more important than ever for producers for all that they're baling up this year. They are made out of 2 and 7 eighths pipe, all with uh, rough-cut 2 eighths to keep the, the bales elevated off the ground. They're more designed for bulls, uh, wide enough for bulls to get into, and all mature cows. Yeah, you can contact us by calling or texting. You can reach Cole at 780-205-4945 or Jana 780-205-1881. You can find us on Facebook and on our website, ClawsonCattleEquipment.com. And remember, that's Clawson with a K. No, it dang sure is. It dang sure is. So, Justin, as we get into the next topic within our show notes here and it really revolves around vandy cattle and if you've been following the brand that you're building whether it's on social media networks your website at livestock shows and particularly agribition that main influence is becoming so strong and building up and it feels like you are becoming one of those younger, more aggressive faces in advancing Maine-on-Jew genetics in Western Canada. So, you know, that's where I wanted to go next, ask you some questions. You know, can you lead in a little bit about just straight cow history? Yeah, for sure, Curtis. So um, I guess a little bit of my story is uh, growing up here, uh, growing up on the family farm at Benson, um, I'll, I'll back it up real far for you. So in the, in the 80s, my dad was involved in, in uh, some full-blood Samantal cattle. Uh, probably about the very late 80s, um, you know, he was having a tough racket with the farm crisis. And he took his Samantal cows, Brendan Black Angus bulls. And by the mid-90s, um, he'd invested in a small herd of Angus cows. And, uh, he never really pursued it very hard. 
um, you know, never marketed anything like that, but had these cows cause he liked them. So the long and short is basically, I, you know, in our operation growing up, we had a primarily Angus based herd, uh, maybe some, you know, a little bit of Samantol genetics in there. And, uh, that's kind of what I grew up with when I would have been eight, I would have showed my first, uh, baby calf in the clover bud or peewee deal in 4-H. Um, that would have been an Angus heifer calf. And then the next year, I would have been old enough to show a market steer. And, you know, we were just showing commercial steers that we had picked out of some guy's yard and, and that. And uh, we did that the first year and I think it was like a shorthorn red Angus steer or something like that that I showed then we got into playing with a few club calves um and at that time you know it wasn't a big deal yet there was no you know monopoly on the scene or or you know heat wave wouldn't wouldn't have been a thing even by that time yet yeah, either he wouldn't have even been born when we were just first starting no he wouldn't steers. have been Damn, we're getting we're getting a little long in the tooth uh, when we talk about showing steers nowadays, man. I I think my <laughs> first couple steers were both, other than that shorthorn red Angus steer. Once I got out of him, my next year I bought a who made who steer, and I think I showed another who made who steer the next year, and then the year after that I showed a main Angus steer that we won our regional show with. And then I never won again after that, <laughs> but then I, then I really started getting hungry for it. And, you know, we were showing more who steers, um, stuff like that. We were, you know, I'd go out and buy a steer every year and kind of how it worked for me is so, you know, my first, first year in 4-H with the market steer, dad went out, bought that steer for me. I think he paid like 900 bucks and, uh, I got a cow from dad. And then at that point, basically all the money I made, I'd take back and buy another steer the next year. And if I had enough money, I'd buy a half or two. So I started taking, uh, I think I bought an Angus heifer or two right off the start. Um, we got into, uh, I guess the cow I had, I had a semi-Angus cow. We, we bred her heat seeker for the first couple of years and, and played around with that actually got, we have a lot of cows here that go back to her mm -hmm. and, uh, then kind of got out of the Angus heifers. Then we were into bought some shorthorn plus heifers, some commercial heifers. And, you know, we were kind of playing around and I guess trying to really find out, I knew I wanted to do the cow thing. I really knew I, I, I loved it. I, especially loved show cattle and i just wasn't sure probably what exactly i wanted to get into so we played around with some shorthorns or i did played around with some shorthorns for probably about till the time i graduated or shortly after and all the commercial cows that i had built up over my few years um as a junior then uh we were breeding them club calf and and by the end of my 4-h days i was showing some steers that i had raised and uh we we're having fun with it i think probably about the time i was getting done 4-h or graduated 
I guess graduated, I, you know, I was starting to kind of consider what my future was going to look like. And, uh, I guess it would have been in the fall of 2012, we had kind of shied away from the whole shorthorn thing. Um, and then I was breeding pretty much everything I had club calf and, uh, started selling some cattle in the fall of 2012. And I took out my first calves of my own tagger bish in, in the prospect deal. So we did that. Um, had a good run with it. We went to Agribition for, I believe, three years consecutively. And in my head, how I had it drawn out was we were going to go out for three years and we were going to break even or lose money. Um, and the whole idea was, is we were just going out to build a clientele, build a, build a brand. And, and we got very aggressive with getting our name out there. And, uh, probably our biggest thing, why we had to do that is because I didn't come from an established operation. Um, I wasn't a relative, uh, relevant name in the purebred industry. I wasn't, you know, some prodigy by any means. It was something that I knew that if I was going to do something, I had to do it on my own and, and I was going to have to earn it. So that was kind of our plan. Um, I probably had it in my mind at that time that I was just going to raise show steers forever. And that's what we were going to do. Um, I probably shied away from that idea a little bit. Uh, a few years after probably around 20, you know, 15, I was starting to maybe think a little bit more seriously about what, what my place in this industry was. Yeah. Selling and show steers for a living in Canada is just not like the opportunity there is in America for it. Right. Just no, different, different industries. Absolutely. And and it's, it's a different industry. And, and as much as we still do uh, play around with, with a handful and we'll still market some steers. Um, we just, you know, it, I don't know that I can, can support the, the farm off it. So, what probably started enticing us a little bit was back again in, in uh, it would have been like December 2012 or January 13. We bought a maintainer bull um, out of the States to run on our cows and, and basically clean up AI. And uh, he worked really well for us. And, and I started to really notice how useful those cattle were what'd you call that bull what was his name that that was one man show that was one man show yeah yeah so we bought him he was actually a bojo son out of a a gcc uh, sioux whiskey cow that came from the south dakota herd that they had and it was it was a good deal we we you know, we were raising some, some show calves off that bull. We were selling some steers, we were selling some show heifers, but it really started to hit home that, you know, these things were making cows and there was some reality in these cattle. Um, about that same time, I guess that actually would have been a little bit earlier in 2011, we had bought, uh, myself and Wade Brokechire bought Ben Gustafson's herd at the time. And, those were all Maine Angus, Maine Hereford Angus cows. 
so some things were starting to kind of click in my mind, I guess, a little bit. And, and, um, I was still, you know, totally all in on the, on the show steer thing, but maybe starting to find myself a little bit in this deal, I guess. And, and, uh, anyways, fast forward up to 2015, um, we kind of pulled out of the aggravation deal and, and quit taking prospects there. We, we fulfilled our three years that I, I sought out to do there. And, and my whole thing with that is I think it takes three years to, to find out if something is successful or not. So we, we went for three years, we pulled out, we had good luck, but I felt that I, I felt that I'd built a bit enough of a clientele that I could start to market these cattle um, a little bit more efficiently on my own. We started selling our prospect calves on show circuit online sales. And we've had a blast with those guys ever since. Um, that year I wanted to be at aggravation. So we took a maintainer bull there. We <laughs> sold them out of the stall in the, in the prospect barn. And, uh, then that year in 2015 is when I started taking some cattle from my dad and leasing them and AIing them. So I was getting out of my, you know, small herd of 20 to 30 cows and I was starting to utilize some more cattle, uh, primarily Angus cattle. And, uh, you were AIing the main, I was AIing the main and Samantal and, and a handful of club calf. Yep. Um, but I was starting to search a little bit and maybe trying to figure out what exactly it was I wanted to do. It was starting to become apparent to me that there was, probably in in my circumstance a little bit more sustainability for me to pursue a breeding cattle um program and and you know i could sustain a market over you know a, a lifetime if i did that well so my next struggle was really what what breed i could go into and be impactful in and build my name my reputation and uh basically it would come down to you know we kind of make some money at this thing and pay some bills yep. so you know we searched i guess you know of course i'd always been around angus cattle growing up um i worked for probably more samantal breeders um in you know either either hired hands on their place or working at shows i probably worked for more samantal breeders than than uh, any other you know cattle breeders i've worked for so i was always around that breed um but growing up you know i had some good experience in main cattle and it kind of came back to you know i i really looked at stuff and and uh the experience that i'd had in the last five years has been had been really pleasant at that time with with Maine on Jew cattle. So I really started doing my homework and I don't know if I could count the hours that I put in to researching the breed and, and, and not just Maine cattle, but really all breeds and, and are ones that I admired. And it basically come down to Samantal Angus and Maine cattle. Um, but I really got looking in this main thing and I thought, you know, what, what is it? Why is this breed in 
a decline. Why, why is it not popular right now? I like the cattle. Am I missing something? And I just, I really wanted to try it. I knew that it resonated with me because those cattle, I liked the type and kind. Um, I liked what they had done for me. So we started playing. We AI'd in 2015 to some, a uh, couple main bulls, not a whole lot. Just, just try it out. And I want to get my feet wet. In 2016, I went, took a couple maintainer bulls to aggravation. We sold them out of the stall. Um, and, you know, I was kind of hooked. At that point, I thought, you know, there's a place for me here. The breeders were very accommodating. They were excited about having someone new and young in the breed. And I really took that uh, to heart. I don't know, you know, if, if those breeders really know how much I appreciated that at the start, because I felt like there was a place for me there to grow. How active, sorry to interrupt you there. It just leads me into a question that if I was sitting listening to this interview and I wanted to research a breed, how easy was it to reach out to established breeders to ask questions, to gain knowledge and research? I think there's a major disconnect for young people understanding how much older breeders actually do want to help younger breeders to pass along that knowledge oh they do and i think before i was active in it um i turned to some guys that that you know had been uh in this area growing up who had been mentors to me um as a young junior and it just so happened that these guys were made on jew breeders in that time and probably my first research into it was, you know, I needed to find out what, what's wrong with these cattle. And that sounds negative, but, but I'm, uh, I'm very critical. And I started going through, I must have a stack of, of Maine and Jew publications here that go back to, you know, the late nineties. And I comb those things through with a fine tooth comb. I, I needed to know every pedigree. I needed to know everything about these cattle. And, you know, I would talk a lot to those guys who I knew before who used to be active in the breed. And my biggest thing was what went wrong. And I don't mean that negatively about the breed, but I mean, why did we see such a decline in popularity in Canada, why are we here? How do we get here? And how do we get out of this if these cattle really do work? And so anyhow, um, what it came down to for me was, was that, you know, I, I was starting to identify different pedigrees and different bloodlines that I admired and that I really believed in. And I identified ones that I was probably, I could see maybe some issues with, or were the kind of cattle that I really wanted to stay away from. And I really stuck true to that. Um, and probably if, if we're going to answer that question right now too, I, I think one of the biggest things that hurt the breed was when BSE hit and now talking to 
breeders who are still actively involved, you know, we, we call it the BSE hangover is that was so tough on our breed in particular, because in that time, a lot of the Canadian cattle were being marketed to the U S and the breed was so hot at that moment that basically their entire market got shut down in the blink of an eye. And it forced guys out of the breed, maybe forced guys out of the business, you know, among many others. And I don't know that since then the recovery has been made up until the last few years in terms of just guys getting back on their feet and really getting excited about it again. So anyways, moving forward to answer the rest of your question is now that I am involved and I've met people in the breed, I reach out to guys still to this day. Um, I wasn't around to see everything and understand what cattle in that time looked like or how they bred. And, you know, going back to some of these genetics that, that, you know, just date back far enough that I wasn't paying attention to the breed. Um, you know, I, I talk to talk to guys almost every day and, and I'm not afraid to ask questions about that because I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in, in the world. I, I want to know and I want to learn and, and that's part of it, but they are, you know, most breeders are, are very helpful and they, they're excited to pass that knowledge along to younger people because it's, it's, uh, I think if any breeder understands the dynamics of how a breed needs to work and develop, they understand that young people need to get involved and, and grow things and expand. And if we don't have a new generation of breeders coming up, the breed isn't going to survive. And that that's not just talking about our breed. It's with every breed. We, we need to continue to, to groom young, young breeders and continue to promote our breed. So, so with the Maine and Jew Association, they in Canada especially, they do have some different rules pedigree wise. Like when you talk about utilizing Maine genetics and becoming a breeder. So if I was a a young person looking to develop my cow herd, I'm picking genetics and I want to start raising my own. Whether I'm going to keep them as range cattle, feed them out, or show them right there's a lot of versatility within the main breed can you just explain because we've you know we talked a lot about coming into it but when you're doing all this research and combing through those pedigrees we have to realize that there's in the main side the full blood the purebred and then the maintainer and now a word from our season one sponsor Clausen cattle equipment and their sale rep cole goad this is Cole Goad with Clawson Cattle Equipment. Uh, we are a premium quality livestock manufacturing company established in 2008. Specialized in building portable calving barns, panels, gates, feeders, shelters, wind fence, loading chutes, and sheds. And we'll customize items to our customers' requests. Yeah, you can contact us by calling or texting. You can reach Cole at 780-205-4945 or Jana. 780-205-1881. You can find us on Facebook and on our website, ClawsonCattleEquipment.com. And remember, that's Clawson with a K. Yes. And you can become a main breeder no matter which path you choose. Absolutely. And, and 
Yeah. Well, actually, I'll, I'll back up, Curtis, and I'll just I'll kind of finish where I was at. So in 2016, I sold them first two maintainer bulls, and and those those bulls were um, three eighths mains out of uh, oh heck, I'm trying to think. They're both semi Angus cows, and I could find a path into this breed no matter which way I looked. Um, you know, for, for anybody who doesn't know, so we have a full blood program in the main on registry. We have a purebred program and a maintainer program. So, um, your full bloods obviously have to be hundred percent. That's, you know, pretty self-explanatory. Um, your maintainer program, we can start registering cattle as low as a quarter and as high as three quarters. So we can breed them up through umpteen different routes to make that purebred. And the neat thing about our registry is, is, is we, there's so much flexibility. So you, you can, you can do it in a lot of different ways to get there. Or if you want to choose to just continue to raise maintainer cattle, there's nothing wrong with that either. And you can breed your maintainer cattle to more maintainer cattle and, and, and make maintainer progeny. Um, we we're building a market for those cattle and, and there's, there's value in them. And I find that intriguing because we can add value through a registry system like that. Um, to anybody's herd really, you know, and, and, and as long as there's a market for it, we continue to grow this market. It, it's an interesting way to do it rather than the traditional upgrading, uh, rules set out by, by you know every exotic breed really right um and that's what so, attracted us to the main breed was the maintainer side and breeding maintainer on maintainer and keeping them you know hovering around half right between yep. three eighths and half most of our genetics and i just always thought that was so neat and such a great opportunity for lots of these young members that you can still show a papered heifer in 4-H or be able to explain the papers on your steer if that was something of importance to you. Well, and, and this is the thing. It's, it's, it's funny how we're getting, you know, talking about this. And when I first was getting my feet wet with it, I wasn't really fully committed yet. And I thought, you know what, if anything else, I can take some of these uh, club calf warranted females maybe breed them off, um, you know, a generation. And if we're going to breed them to something, well, let's breed them to Maine. Let's, let's breed them that way. Let's keep some look in these cattle and some power. And Hey, I've got an option. If I got a heifer calf, all of a sudden she holds more value because I can paper her as a half blood or a three eighths or a quarter, whatever bull I use. So I can hold value and market those heifers. And, and that was the big, issue I was having at the time with the club calves was, you know, I had these non-registered commercial show heifers and they just didn't hold as much value when it came down to breed classifying them because I couldn't ever produce a paper. So that's kind of how it started. And it really grew into something different because the next year I went and I really stuck my neck out and we put in some embryos. We flushed a cow of mine here, Sim Angus cow. And then I bought some embryos um, 
that uh, were out of the uh, Angus cows, Sarianko's. And these, that flush <laughs> absolutely was lights out and has probably been the, you know, hands down the most influential thing I've done to date in my program because I put females in here that are probably the most productive females that you know up to that time that we had ever raised and I just knew that these were special originally when those eggs were going into recip cows I was thinking you know yeah here we go we're going to get some good good uh steer mamas out of this well it totally changed because I soon realized by the time I had gotten there by the time I was starting to um take those first two bulls out in 2016 aggribition and then really understand how this breed worked, what the people were like and understand my place in it. Then it was becoming pretty evident to me that no, that I need to go this route. And the thing is, is amongst other breeds, as much as every breed has their place and has their qualities the exciting thing for me was this was going to be a challenge. There was room for me in the breed where I could go and I could be active in it without having this big reputation. And I could find a market because it wasn't so crowded. It was, you know, there was lots of room in the breed for somebody to come in. I could do that. And as a young person, I could grow in that breed and build my reputation, um, build a clientele and grow with the breed. So it was, it was, it was interesting for me. And, and, you know, now looking back, um, you know, it was one of the best things I ever did. And, and I believe in those cattle a lot. And yeah. so it, it's, it's just one of those things that it's interesting how it worked. It wasn't maybe my intention at the time, but it, it really, worked out for the best and and worked in a way that was was uh very productive i guess yeah. so hey jumping back on that flush i remember coming to your place for the open house we were walking through looking at cattle we come to this pen and i say what's that heifer calf and you look at me and you said not for sale and I'm pretty sure that's the first time I'd ever heard you say that before in my whole life. I was like, holy <laughs> bucket. We're on to something. Not for yeah. sale. What is that one, Justin? What is that? I remember that. That's funny. And, yeah, well, uh, you know, and I, I just wanted to circle back to that comment there about growing within the breed and being able to find your own voice and carve out some of your own path in those situations where sometimes you just have that little ounce of doubt, like what, what was that final thing that pushed you to jump at it? Do you have that final moment, whether it was something terribly simple or a, a big relevation where you were just like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm getting after it. I, I think for me, I was starting to look at the cows that, you know, whether, you know, it was the cows that come out of the Gustafson herd that we bought or um, whether it was the cows that, you know, we had had daughters off that one man show bull 
Um, there was a couple other, you know, there's a couple other main females that we had bought, um, not for the purpose of anything, but raising steers. And, and it kind of clicked me that all these cattle are working in the same way. Um, a lot of them were related and I thought, you know, this is, these are real world cattle. I can get behind that. And I guess, you know, that first year selling them a couple bulls there, we made out well, we went there, we made money. And that was, that was a bonus in itself. And I was really at that point, you know, I, I still wasn't sure when I went to Agribition that year in 2016, that this was exactly what I wanted to do. When I left, I was pretty damn sure. And the next year when those embryo calves hit the ground, it was like, whoa, that this is something that, that was probably in, in my mind, okay, I'm on the right track. This is really working. Now, this I is still, for real. This is for real. That's right. But I still had doubt because I thought, am I just getting lucky? And, you know, what, what's, what is there that I'm going to do wrong here yet? That's going to turn me off of this. Um, I guess I, you know, I was just kind of waiting for <laughs> what the heck was it that I'm missing? Am I missing something? Why is there nobody else paying attention to this right now? Because it, you know, it just was like, you know, it was like you could hear hear an echo through the main on Jew barns at the time because it just wasn't busy. Yeah. And I'm thinking like these cattle are, are good. There's a lot of good here. These cattle can do some stuff. And and finally, you know, it, it was probably in 2018, I would say. I had more calves hitting the ground. I was starting to push a little harder. And it was like, this, this has got to be the right thing i i just wasn't uh i have i still haven't found out what that what i was missing yet because i i think these cattle really work so and now it's become the backbone of a bull sale the backbone yep. of offering genetics online sales and online female sale and you have partners within those sales yep. a lot of us that aren't quite to the point of having a large enough herd you bring in trusted partners and you just all push forward marketing together. So yep. yeah, no, I think no. that's real neat, but like right now, if I'm to say like, I just want to give you a little spot here, like blast me out what the bull sale, what the female sale is called, how to get in touch with you about genetics. Like what's we, you know, Vandy cattle, how do I get in touch with Vandy Cattle? So I guess uh, you can get in touch with me is, is the best way. Uh, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, my phone is probably the best way to get in touch with me. It's 306-461-6031. Um, I'm always up for a chat or, you know, text and conversation or whatever. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Vandy Cattle on Facebook vandycattle.com is our website um we've we've done a fair bit of advertising and and trying to reach out and and get our product out there i think in this day and age it's really important and and we're we're at this whole different time of advertising right now so you kind of got to get out there and make sure you're seen um or else you get lost pretty quick in the mix but yeah. a little but, free uh, a little free ad for SCO. Well, you were one of my first friends to jump on 
online sales. Yes. And I remember us having several phone conversations about that because I was still in pasture bid off mode and thinking that it was the gift of all gifts. And when uh, you and I were chatting about online sales, you had promised me when you do a couple, you won't go back. And now that I've done a couple, yeah, doubt I'm going back. No, I think it's one of the easiest things to do. It's, it's where I was at and, and I'm not going to say that I was the first one by me, by any means. Um, I know that Tyson Rasmussen jumped out probably first before I did. And he's a good buddy and, you know, lived 20 minutes down the road here. He liked it. I got in, I liked it. And, and I think the thing for me was I needed to be able to sell my product in a efficient manner that I could go and, and put it out in front of more people, but I could cut costs and pass on those savings to my customer. So I don't necessarily need to take a bigger average than what I needed to make at Agribition. Mm-hmm. I could take a less of average, still have my profit margin, pass those savings on. It was really a, a pretty stress-free deal. You know, your most stressful day is, is picturing videoing day. And after that, it's, it's really neat to sell cattle that way. And I've always liked that about it. You can get it over with at a night. It's not like a private treaty deal where you're, you know trying to talk to guys and guys can't make up their mind. Mm-hmm. We're still having a sale, but you can do it in your home. I can sit down and, and it's not a live auction where I'm, you know, you only got a few seconds to make a decision. When the it countdown down, is on something, something or get off the pot. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But I still have enough time to, you know, as the closeouts going on an online sale, you know, I got guys calling me that whole night while yeah. asking last minute questions about calves. Well, we, we have that opportunity to talk to those guys and answer those questions and make them feel confident in what they're bidding on. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it is a lot more personal than a, than a live auction, in my opinion. Um, as much as we're not in the same room face to face, having that conversation, we have the time you know, through our open house to meet guys, talk to guys on farm, sit down, let's go for a tour. And even that night we have time to sit and help the customer make a decision that they can feel very good about rather than sitting there and going, Oh, we, we better bid or else we're going to miss it and not like what they buy or don't bid and miss the one you should have bought. No, I just, it's so neat. And Closing here, like, thank you very much, my friend, coming on, chatting with us, the information that you have and insight. I know you always say you you don't think yourself as the smartest guy, but I'm always learning something when we're talking. And I believe there's so many young people out there that can really relate to your story because it is a grind and the grind isn't just about money. It's about time extra effort and taking advantage of opportunity. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. And, and, uh, I don't know, I guess my thing is with, with the whole deal is you got to like what you're doing. Um, you got to love it. You gotta, you gotta want it. And, you know, in terms of, of young guys getting up and, and, you know, wanting to go and find their spot in this industry. I mean, you got to stick to your gut a bit. 
and really believe in what, what you're doing and don't let anybody else, you know, make those decisions for you. You know, you gotta, you gotta do what you believe in first and, and follow that. So. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate the chance to talk to you tonight. Listeners, make sure you get out there and look up Vandy Catalan Facebook contact Justin anytime to discuss Mainanjou genetics, maintainers, the opportunities that he has, and even just ask him about getting into the business, whether you're wanting to get into Mainanjou's, Red Angus, Charlay's, Herefords. You can learn a lot from other breeders and how their entry into pro into these purebred programs went and how you can start to carve your own path within that business. Heck, even if you just want to start what you envision as an elite commercial cattle operation, it never hurts to talk to people that came in, you know, scratching and clawing and, and are now uh, running and, and yelling to the skies. So sure appreciate all your time, Justin. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks, Curtis. And and I'll just put in one more little plug here before I before I leave. Um, you know, like you said, for anybody wondering about Maine on Jew cattle, it's uh, it's uh, definitely uh, you know something I can help you with. There's a lot of breeders, and and by all means, like you said, any breed. But just a little plug for for the Maine on Jew cattle here this year. We're going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary year we we were going to do that last year of course uh with agribition canceled with the COVID-19 restrictions that didn't happen but we're going ahead this fall with our congress uh, so that'll be the main on Jew world congress and I mean if you do have interest in the breed what a place to be because we're going to have um a lot of good cattle out we're going to have our first sale at agribition in in many years and uh probably it's what looking to be probably one of the best showcases for the breed in Canada and in a long time. So, so again, yeah, if you're interested in any main cattle, it, it's a good, good place to get out this fall to aggravation. So. Awesome. Thanks dude. We'll catch up with you later. Thanks Curtis. Bye. Bye. Thanks again, Justin, for allowing me to bounce some of these uh, crazy ideas and the idea of this podcast off of you. And then, being willing to come on and guinea pig and then like dang that just turned into a great episode it was so easy to record smooth conversation and you know i'm just lucky that's how kind of justin and i bs with one another you know as it goes just kind of flowing topic to topic and different things someone that is really really approachable if you have an interest in Main Anjou cattle or maintainers, if you just want to talk to him a little bit more about how he built up and what he's done, and if he has some different plans coming in the future, I just encourage you to go find him. I know he'll be exhibiting at Agribition, like just go find him in the barns, talk to him. It's so approachable, and you're going to come away with with some you know questions answered or just a great connection to have in the future going down the line but if you've liked the episode make sure you find us on all the social media networks 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We don't Snapchat. I, I have a personal Snapchat. It's under Curtis Reed TCF, I believe, is, is my uh, handle on there. But you know, you're more than welcome to follow along. If you like bad dad jokes, uh, sometimes some funny Snapchats of my kids doing bad things when I should probably be like, you know, strict dad parenting skills, but uh, it's just too funny in that moment and you have to record it because eventually, uh, as I keep getting told, they grow up and they graduate and you get married and when you really want to get back at them, you need those moments recorded to put out there to the greater public. For our final episode, I'm quite excited to talk to another industry legend coming up. We're going to delay that release until the Friday before Agribition, just so, and that'll that'll only delay it one week. But we're going to delay it one week just so we put it out there for the enjoyment and content sharing as it's really relevant to Agribition on the way there. And then after Agribition, when I have the good old Agribition crud, I'll make sure I get on here because I'll probably sound a little bit like T-Bar and uh, and do my wrap-up. Because everybody loves when you get the good voice on after Agribition. So with that, remember, it's a good thing to want to better yourself and chase your passions. Ask questions. Don't be afraid of hard work. And get on the road when possible to make some in-person visits. Those will be the best learning experiences and memories of all. Thanks for tuning in to the Livestock Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Reed. Bye for now.